Welcome back to another episode of Me and Mr. 80s. I'm Nick Me, and here is Mr. 80s. Hi, everybody. This is Daryl. Thanks for joining us again. Today we're going to have we're going to have a good time. I think we're going to be talking about actors of the decade. Am I really overmodulating there? Or are we cool? Yeah, we're good. <coughs> I'm looking at the blue bar go across the computer. <laughs> I'm like, my gosh. Actors of the decade. We're talking about the 80s decade, of course, and we tried to really focus on actors who were streaking like comets in the decade <laughs> and then burned out like an ember <laughs> once January 1st, 1990 hit. <laughs> so, do you want me to start, or do you want to start? Why don't you go ahead. Uh, what actually uh, prompted uh, this show is... Uh, the actor C. Thomas Howell, <laughs> because I think he's kind of one of those ultimate 80s actor guys, because he was he was huge in the 80s. I mean, it's it's almost hard to even remember how how big he was in the 80s, but I mean, good lord, he was in E.T., mm-hmm. he was in The Outsiders, <coughs> Don't for Johnny, Red Dawn, or some catchphrase there, I don't remember. You know, pee in the battery, I think. Was the <laughs> what was the Some like, you know... Oh, yeah, Wolverines. 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 Yeah. That's right. Uh, so he had, he had supporting roles in all those movies, and then uh, became the lead in uh, near classics like Soul Man, <laughs> The Hitcher, hmm. um... Grandview USA with Jimmy Lee Curtis, mm-hmm. which is finally coming out on DVD. Oh, really? It's taken taken an awful lot of time. Uh, they really put just the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been 26 years. It's perfect. This is the 26th anniversary <laughs> blitz. <clears throat> and Secret Admirer, of course, which is one of the kind of Great forgotten teen sex comedies. Nobody remembers that movie. Yeah, even I, I, I remember the name of it, but I don't remember what was the plot in that. Because wasn't it sort of convoluted in the someone yeah. like this and someone like that, and they were leaving notes, and everyone was, a, you know, uh, Three's Company esque in there. It was Oops. a typical kind of uh, <coughs> where he he has a best friend who's played by a female. And he's trying to win the heart of a girl who's out of his league. So he doesn't realize that love is right there in front of his face the whole time. So the whole movie is him trying to woo this girl when right next to him is his female friend who he really should be with. And I think she's helping him write love letters to the other girl because she knows what women wants and stuff like that. Wasn't that the plot of uh, Some Kind of Wonderful with Eric Stoltz? John Hughes, wasn't it? Would you believe I've never seen it? I even have all the John Hughes in our DVD collections, and I've been saving that one, I guess, for the 26th anniversary. <laughs> I don't know what I've been waiting on, but it's like, I think since John Hughes is dead, and I know I'm never going to get to see another John Hughes teen movie, I just want to save it for a special occasion when I really, really need a new-to-me John Hughes movie. Is that like you're uh, saving your Fletch book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never read the last book of the last book of the Fletch series, because I just didn't want it to end. <laughs> yeah, okay. So would you say that he, he's your top quintessential 80s actor or actress? 
don't think we're going to be able to actually narrow it down and say that there's one. Mm-hmm. I think that we're probably going to find that there are a number of them. Uh, he would definitely be in the running, though, I would say. <laughs> uh, and maybe you know, later in the show, if we have time, we can talk a little bit more about how his career has evolved. But he definitely well, he looked like he was going to be a really big star. Oh, yeah. <coughs> and it hasn't worked out that way no. by, uh, by a long shot. But if you look at his IMDb credits, you will see he's been busier in the last 10 years than he ever was during his hot streak. But uh, it's just kind of a different kind of, uh, a different kind of work. He's, he's now an actor rather than a movie star. Right. Yeah. And it, to me, it's always amazing when you can see, you know, uh, some, you know, you, you'll be just reading something, newspaper, magazine, or something, and suddenly you see somebody that you, you're like, oh my God, they're still around? <laughs> I mean, uh, Michelle Indege Ocello just oh. released her 10th album. Oh my God. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard her since, what was the, she did the song with uh, John Cougar Mellencamp? Was it the Wild Night cover? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, which was like in the early 90s. Yeah. So 20 years later, she's still putting out albums. Nice job. Didn't know you were still around. Nice job, Michelle. We can't pronounce your last name. <laughs> well, and, and you know, to see Thomas Howell being an actor, not a movie star, that's actually a better fate than has awaited <laughs> some of the other people on our list. Somebody that you mentioned that I think would definitely be in the in the running for actor of the decade Mm -hmm. because this guy fulfills all the criteria he was just white hot in the 80s and then just I mean like he was evaporating (laughs) from outer space by aliens (laughs) Steve (laughs) Gutenberg (laughs) yeah what a great choice that guy was on a hot streak like you cannot believe I think people forget oh yeah unless you were there you couldn't have remembered that all the you know, Police Academy movies. Cocoon, Three Men and a Baby. Oh, wow. And, and these were gigantic hits. Yeah. Boy, I really hope he invested wisely. <laughs> and I have, uh, I have uh, 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 such a poignant remembrance. Uh, and this is true. I saw an interview with him back during this hot streak. And... And the whole kind of thrust of the profile was just about the amazing success <laughs> that he was having. And he actually said this phrase, which now, with the benefit of hindsight, is just so incredibly sad. He says, I want the Gutenberg name to become synonymous with quality. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> it's synonymous with has been. Oh, it's just <laughs> so, so sad. And he had even going for him. I mean, he was he was unconventional looking, but he was, you know, a, a, a good enough looking guy to play a, a male lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had uh, acting, acting chops. He could do comedy. Um... He could play, you know, like in Cocoon, he was playing sort of uh, you know, the schlubby guy. In Police Academy, he was playing more of the, the wiseacre kind of a guy. So he had range, and it, it just it just didn't pan out for him. Yeah, and he always seemed to come off as, uh, even when he was playing the smart ass, he was the, 
smart-ass, but kind of guy you'd like anyway. Yeah. And I know, you know, having worked in video stores in the 90s, that he went on to do, you know, uh, straight-to-video, like, family releases where he was always, like, somebody's dad. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah, just, how do you, how do you get that white hot and just disappear? <laughs> wow, the 90s hated Steve Gruden perfectly. <laughs> they really did. The 90s gave him the goat. <laughs> and it's an interesting question, you know, I mean, how does this happen? And it's... It's a question for which there is no answer because if there was an answer, somebody would have found a solution by now. <laughs> yeah, but it just it happens time and time again. But it it, it really is. I mean, it, those were some massive hit movies that he was racking up, and all in a relatively short time frame. Because uh, Police Academy, I'm pretty sure, was '84. Cocoon was '85, '86, okay. and then Three Men and a Baby was '86. So, I mean, he had, he had a two-year period like <laughs> nobody's ever had. Yeah, we were talking about the blockbuster albums. He was a blockbuster actor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a hell, of a hell of a short career. Now, I just happened to pull up this website where they were doing his bio, born in uh, 58, active years. And I love this. 77 to 2009. Really? <laughs> he may have been active, but apparently everyone knew him for two years. <laughs> he was active, but his viewing audience was not. <laughs> active in his backyard. <laughs> a guy whose uh, uh, career, I think, is, follows a similar, a similar but different, if you'll indulge me, <laughs> maybe a similar style of actor, mm -hmm. is uh, Michael Keaton. Mm. I can see them kind of competing for roles. They're kind of the same. I think that Keaton probably ca is better at pulling off a, a darker, heavy, straight drama kind of a character. But, you know, they both are, are adept with comedy. I think they started in the same sort of place. I mean, they started, you know, if you look at Hanks in uh, Bachelor Party and compare his kind of... Uh, I'm sorry, I just said Hanks. I meant uh, Keaton in... Well, actually, I was thinking uh, I just mixed them both up there. Um, Early onset also in, uh, um, Mr. Mom. And if you look at him and Mr. Mom and you look at uh, Gutenberg in uh, like, like Police Academy, you know, the kind of player that they're, they're playing there is kind of the, you know, wiseacking kind of guy. But or uh, even, even closer to that would probably be Billy Blaze from Night Shift. Oh, there you go. Because he was, he was playing you know, the fast-talking schemer kind of a guy. But yeah, I mean, I think Keaton really showed more range in being able to play that little more depth into his character and really taking maybe even, you know, like a clean, sober, dramatic role right. that you just didn't see Gutenberg go for, which maybe he could have, but he just didn't go that way, or maybe they didn't see him in that way. And yeah, Keaton, <laughs> Keaton, Keaton's star was a little farther. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, that you know, Keaton's 80s career is, it's like Gutenberg plus. I mean, I definitely, you know, Keaton was the more successful and had the more iconic roles with Mr. Mom and with, uh, with Batman. But I want to go back to uh, Clean and Sober, because that was kind of a, a watershed moment for his career, because it was the first full-on dramatic role that he that he took on, and he impressed a lot of people. There was even, early on, there was even some Oscar talk, mainly because of the 
perceptions that he had shattered, I think. And uh, you're seeing this, this kind of comedic actor playing such a dramatic role. And it's probably safe to say that had he not done Clean and Silver, he would never even been considered for Batman. Yeah. Although if you will recall, when he was cast as Batman, and people were so excited that you know Tim Burton was going to finally be making this uh, more Dark Knight-ish portrayal of the Batman world, and they, he cast Michael Keaton, people automatically thought, oh God, he's just going to do another campy yeah, 60s Adam West version. But what I wonder is, did Batman, did the role of Batman kill Michael Keaton's career? Hmm. Wow. Because it yeah. does seem like the wheels fell off very shortly after that role. Well, I think it was just too, uh, it was too odd of a casting. I mean, he was too well-known for his comedy, and no matter how well he did for his dramatic roles, and, you know, people just didn't see him in that role. And I think, you know, once you change the way people perceive you in Hollywood, then you have to, uh, you know, they like to pigeonhole people, and now where do you pigeonhole him? Do you pigeonhole him as the, you know, big-budget you know, lead actor, do you pick you know, pick him as the, you know, wiseacre comedy guy, do you pick him as the clean and sober dramatic actor? I think people just didn't know where to put him anymore, so they didn't put him anywhere. And I also think that, that casting Keaton, even though we knew he had dramatic chops, <coughs> it's akin to casting Tom Hanks as Batman. You know, Tom Hanks has got legitimate Oscar winning dramatic chops, but mm-hmm. I don't think he could have pulled off Batman. No. It's there's just a certain a certain type. Well, I, can, I can see if you're looking at the character, you know, you have to have the duality of the character. You have to have the suave and kind of uh, uh, asshole millionaire of Bruce Wayne, but you have to have that stereotypic of you know the intense Batman. That's a tough role to to pick one person as they keep. You know, recasting the role, you can see that it's tough. But I, I don't know how you. Uh, I, I, I just, uh, as much as I thought the movie was not as bad as a lot of people said, it still wasn't the role for him. I I still don't think they've made a good Batman movie. They keep trying, God bless them, but I, I've enjoyed their reimaginings lately. But uh, they've made a great one. Yes, they've, they've made several good ones. They've not made a great Batman movie yet. Well, I- if uh, Christian Bale does another Batman movie and he does the obnoxious... Yeah, whoever told him to do that, overdo that in the second movie, really should be shot. <laughs> it, that if, was if you couldn't tell from me talking like a gargoyle, what we're mentioning is that uh, Christian Bale, whenever he was playing Bruce Wayne, he sounded like Christian Bale. And then when he sounded like Batman, he sounded like he had throat cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you can see in the first movie where he kind of did that somewhat, but they really amped it up. Oh, they did. It, it, was, it, was, it was distracting. It, it completely pulled you out of scenes sometimes, because it was like, why is he talking like that? Which is such a shame, because uh, who's the dead guy, Joker? Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was fucking awesome in that. I mean, he really kicked the shit out of that role. I think personally, but I, but Christian's obnoxious Batman voice just always drew me out of it. 
don't know. I think that uh, I think he's got a lot of dead guy grace wow. for that one. Wow, I thought it was wonderful. I mean, he was he was awesome in Brokeback Mountain. Still never seen that. But I don't know. I thought I thought the Joker thing was a little. It was a little. It needed a little bit more time in the oven. You can tell it was still at that stage where it was kind of a collection of actorly affectations to lead him to the character, but he never really got to the character, which is my opinion. Once again, a lost subject, though. <laughs> Michael Keaton, I mean, I think, uh, I think Michael Keaton's one of my all-time favorite, one of my all-time favorite actors because of his diversity, because of his ability to, to play different kinds of roles, but always bring that Michael Keaton-ness to it, but not in that Nicholson way where he's played himself. Yeah. But he always, all of his roles have got this, this humanity to them, this very relatable, believable, you know, this is a real guy, mm-hmm. kind of a, a genuine and authenticity to them. Even in movies where the movie wasn't that good, did you have, I think it was like Snow Dad or something like that, where he comes back as an animated... Jack Frost. Jack Frost. Oh, fuck, that was a, that was a terrible idea for a movie. Yes. But he was good in it. And I think that's the sign of a good actor, is when you can see the good actor in a crappy movie. Yeah. And, you know... And I have no explanation for why his career has... He's enjoyed somewhat of a resurgence in, in recent years, getting some you know, media supporting roles, and he had a, a big role in a big miniseries about the creation of the CIA. Hmm. Uh, but it was obvious when he got cast in Jackie Brown in 94 that he thought that was going to be his kind of Tarantino Travolta shot in the arm, and it just didn't, it just didn't pan out for him. That's too bad. Should we talk about the entire Brat Pack? <laughs> Yes, the brattiest pack of all. I mean, is there anybody from the Brat Pack who superseded, who who has... Well, the, the Brat Pack would be... Uh, I guess, yeah, we should define the Brat Pack because they can get a little lengthy. So, obviously, when we think about the core Brat Packers, we think about the cast of The Breakfast Club, which is Anthony Michael Hall, Molly Ringwald, Judd Nelson, Amelia Estevez, and Ali Sheedy. That's kind of the, the core Brat Pack group. But then, beyond on to that, you start getting Andrew McCarthy, James Spader, mm-hmm. um, Rob Lowe gets put in there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Demi Moore, I think only because she did two movies with Rob Lowe, but she gets tossed in there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Leah Thompson is put in there occasionally. Mm-hmm. Mary Winningham, who nobody remembers. <laughs> um, who am I leaving out? I mean, my God, do you put Eric Stoltz in there and just because he was in a John Hughes movie? I don't know. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, um, uh, the guy that's married to Horseface. Um, oh. Ferris uh, Bueller. Um, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. He would probably be in there. Yeah, there was a, a hell of a... Hell of a crowd in there, but... So you cast the net that wide, but obviously we would probably say that uh, Broderick and Lowe, I guess, are your, well, big, your big survivors. Spader's still around. He's still Spader. doing uh, TV. I can't remember what the show he's on now, but he's still doing something. He was on Boston. Even now he is the new boss on oh, the office. The office. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but in the other, like, you know, the, the core, the, the nucleus Brat Packers, the, that cast of The Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. I think they had kind of a, a rough road. Well, yeah, it's kind of a, 
they, you know, just a bunch of actors who all of a sudden got labeled and now lived up to a Brad Pack name, and I, I think they, uh, they didn't seem to recover from that very well. <laughs> Too much attention? I don't know. I, I don't know either. I mean, I think it, uh, part of it, obviously, is your classic you know, child actor syndrome. It's just so hard for for actors to transition from childhood to adulthood if they start acting beforehand. I mean, you look at a, a Macaulay Culkin, who was one of the biggest stars in the world, and you know, I mean, he he, he could beat Joe Pesci, but not puberty. Puberty kicked his ass. <laughs> uh, Very true. And. It's a, it's an interesting, you know, the whole John Hughes thing, which you know will we'll someday be the subject of his own show because it deserves it. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's just an interesting story with with what happened between him and Ringwald, and it really didn't work out for either of them because the. Uh, the, the Mary girl who's got three names. There's like three or four actresses who have Mary and three names in their name. So who's the one that was in Some Kind of Wonderful? Is that Mary Stuart Masterson? That's one. It's not Mary Elizabeth Mastry Antonio or Mary Louise Parker <laughs> or... So that role was written for Molly Ringwald. Oh, I didn't know that. And Molly Ringwald said, I'll pass. I'm going to make uh, Fresh Horses my big adult, my big adult role movie. Oops. And apparently, John Hughes never spoke to her again. Wow. Which is a little petty, a little petulant. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he did make her. I mean, without John Hughes and those three. Oh, yeah. roles, she would not have been where she was, but you can't fault her for wanting to kind of move on and do other things. That was Breakfast Club, Sixteen Candles, and what's Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink. I always mess up that last one. Oh, yeah. and John Cryer. Would he be a Brad Packer since he was in <laughs> Pretty in Pink? Because he's doing pretty well for himself. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Although, do you know they wanted to cast him as Chandler on Friends? That would have been oh. a nightmare. Wow. Yeah, I can't see that. But there's somewhere out there in the blogosphere, uh, where there's a lady who has a blog who has uh, posted the story of her life in the 80s as a pen pal with John Hughes, and it's fascinating stuff. Really? This was, you know, he was John Hughes, and she, she was a fan of his because of his movies, and mm. just kind of wrote him a letter, a fan letter, and he wrote her back, and it kind of started this... Uh, this pen pal relationship that lasted over a period of years. So if, uh, if you, want, I guess maybe if you do a Google search on John Hughes pen pal, maybe it'll come up. But she's, I mean, she's got reprints of some of the letters just to prove she's not like a, a nut job who's making <laughs> it up. And it's, uh, it's pretty uh, fascinating stuff. But yeah, the Brad Pack. I mean, I think it, that, that's kind of what it had to be. Was just, I think they they had youth on their side, and then all of a sudden they did not. It was more of a hindrance. Yeah, but they did uh, put out some pretty choice 80s movies in the time. And we really need to devote a show to that whole era. Yeah. (laughs) The Brat Pack era. Because it definitely definitely deserves it. There's lots of stuff to talk about there. What about some of the ladies of the 80s? 
Ooh, ladies. I tell you, you mentioned Kathleen Turner. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. Um, she was... I, I loved uh, Juvenile and Romancing the Stone as two of her big movies. Um, she comes to prominence in Body Heat, which did that come out in 1980? I think it was 82. Uh, let's see. I'm going to the website that's going to go slow. But uh, so she won. So she was there right at the start of the decade. That was kind of the movie that that made her. And she was. I mean, she was uh, probably on a short list for a sex symbol of the 80s. Which is so funny considering where she ended up when she was on Friends. Yes. <laughs> and, and really, you know, where she ended up. Period. Yeah. But yeah, she was... She was uh, she was such a sex symbol in the '80s, and you know, just uh, but kind of you know, uh, as they exploited in films, they, she kind of had that husky voice. But then, you know, years later, she ends up on uh, the Friends TV show as Chandler's dad. Dad, <laughs> the cross-dressing or trans. Sexual? Uh, no, he was not. He, he was not trans. He was not transgendered, I believe. He was. Uh, he was a cross. Tra- yeah, trans cross dresser. Transsexual. Well, cross dresser. That's the word. Yes, let's be politically correct. Yes, cross dressing father. But it was still a more heavy set and husky version of you know the eighty sex symbol, <laughs> Kathleen Turner. I just. I don't want to be crude, but at some point. That that sexy husky voice of hers. Somewhere it crossed this line into job of the hut. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> and I don't know exactly when it happened. It probably happened somewhere after V.I. Wachowski. <laughs> For some reason, that, that that name came into my head. But I remember because they were like focusing on her long legs and the skirt as she was a sexy private eye. And I and I I understand that we all age, and so it's certainly not. I'm not saying it's Catherine Turner's fault that she got older. That that happens. But what happened to Kathleen Turner is different than just <laughs> getting older because I mean, you look you look at a Helen Mirren <laughs> who's a hell of a lot older yeah. than Kathleen Turner and looks a hell of a lot better yeah. than <laughs> Kathleen Turner. Yeah, it's just... But I get to her credit, she's had a sense of humor about it. I mean, she, <laughs> she accepted the role as Chandler's dad, for crying out loud. Wow. <laughs> I'm stunned she said yes to that. But she was a major star. So you talked about the uh, Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, mm-hmm. uh, I Remember War of the Roses. What were some of the other... Or, or talk, what do you enjoy about those movies? What do you enjoy about her stuff? Well, uh, other movies from the 80s was uh, The Man with Two Brains, which I think was the Steve Martin. Martin. Peggy Sue Got Married, Switching Channels, and uh, The Accidental Tourist. Um for me, it was really, you know, Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile. But she, the, the story of Romancing the Stone, which was the first one, Jewel of the Nile was the sequel. She was a, uh, a novelist who was um, so stuck into her own, she lived in her own world and her own head, but never really went out and did anything. So I think like her 
sister or something gets in trouble and she ends up having to go, you know, off to some um, foreign South American land to uh, do something to help save her. And she ends up meeting up with Michael Douglas as the suave, you know, uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Indiana Jones, and so they, you know, it's a chase movie. It's, you know, becomes a uh, romantic story between the two of them as they fall for each other as they go on this escapade. And Isn't that little toad, Danny DeVito, in it, too? Danny DeVito is the uh, wise ass guy who's chasing them because they're all trying to find this. Uh, Stone, save the girl, and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's an action adventure. It's a romantic comedy. It's all sorts of things, and it's a it's a really fun movie. And they, you know, she and Michael Douglas had really good chemistry throughout, and it was uh, it was Jewel and I equally good. It was a big drop off. Jewel and I, as with always, you know, when the sequel comes out, and they kind of say. Oh, well, you know, now we have more money, so we have uh, Billy Ocean do the uh, title song. Well, the thing is when the going gets ah, tough, yes. the tough get going. Yeah, okay. And uh, they brought back the entire, you know, the, the three main players, her, Michael, and uh, Danny DeVito. <laughs> is there a reason you think he's a turd? Just like a turd. <laughs> you know when uh, when when the brother gets turned into a pile of shit in uh, World Science? <laughs> yes. Danny DeVito always looks like that. <laughs> That'd be Chet. Yes. <laughs> Danny Chet DeVito. <laughs> Interesting side note. Do you know who did the theme song for Romancing the Stone? No. Eddie Grant of Electric Avenue fame. Wow, he had a second song. He did. <laughs> the best of has two songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually flip it over and it's not empty. <laughs> That's for the older people out there that know what vinyl is. <laughs> vinyl? What's that? My boots are made out of vinyl. <laughs> my scratches. Uh, my siding. <laughs> so yeah, Julie now wasn't quite as good, but again, it got them into the same sort of was good action adventure. Oh, they they really did a good job. I mean, I definitely think they you know they should have run you know another couple of episodes of our uh, movies worth of that. And then another uh, big sex symbol in the '80s was Kim Basinger. Oh yeah, now she still looks good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I guess was it nine and a half weeks that kind of put her on the map? I would think so. I mean, that's that's the one everyone remembers. Whether or not, you know, in hindsight, that's the one that got everyone noticed. Uh, let's see. Well, she was in Never Seen Ever Again, the uh, the Bond movie that wasn't a Bond movie. Yeah. Um, the Natural. Yeah. And then yeah, Nine and a Half Weeks was '86. No Mercy, Blind Date, Nadine, <laughs> My Stepmother's Kneeling, and Batman to close out the uh, the uh, 80s for. And it's really no secret what killed her career. His name's Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, like, I, I remember, you know, she started doing movies with him, but it's, it's kind of like you know, after the age, she didn't really seem to do much. Well, she did Nadine with him. <laughs> I, it, it, that was I was in high school at the time. I've never seen it, but I hear it's awful. It's terrible. But I, for some reason, I got on this thing where they would send me movie premiere tickets. 
So like two <laughs> free passes. Is just some kid getting moving passes? Yeah. I mean, well, I think it may have had to do with my brother was uh, doing stuff with uh, local newspapers, and I, I don't know, maybe I ended up getting on the list because of him. But, you know, I'm getting, you know, uh, I saw weird-ass 80s movies like Nadine, uh, Beetlejuice, um, Troop Beverly Hills, mm. and uh, Hellraiser, um, Empire of the Sun. <laughs> I mean, just all over the place. I mean, just weird, wacky, you know, random movies. Troop Beverly Hills, Hellraiser, Empire of the Sun would make one hell of a triple feature, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I walked out of Empire of the Sun because it was awful. Oh, like what, five hours long, too. <laughs> but so one of them was also Nadine. And, oh, man, that was a terrible movie. And, you know, she had like this really obnoxious, like, southern accent or something. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a chase movie, and she was just a, a wacky girl, just <laughs> always in trouble. <laughs> oh, Wow. I'm sure that's one she wants to scrub out of her resume. <laughs> well, that was, that was kind of the beginning of the end because uh, Blind Date, which was Bruce Willis's first major motion picture, it also is a pile of garbage. Wow. I, I really wanted to like it because I really like Bruce Willis. Is that Blake Edwards? Yes. That was a Blake Edwards movie, and he's one of those guys that... He's almost like the Phil Spector of filmmaking because he just gets his head so far up his own ass. But uh, the one that... Um, gosh, we just referenced in the last episode that the voice of Clifford, Don Ritter, Don Ritter, he did Skin Deep. Skin Deep. That is a fucking great movie. That's a good movie. I mean, wow. Well, that's the thing. That's the deal. With Blake Edwards, you just never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Because his head is so far up his own ass, and he kind of works in a vacuum with nobody telling him that he he needs he needs a collaborator so desperately. (laughs) Well, I I think it it stands that you know. John made that movie where Bruce and Kim could not make that movie. I mean, you know, he, he was, you know, the story was not that great, but his physicality in that comedy was terrific. He, I mean, he also, uh, that's a movie uh, for people listening who are Ritter fans. I mean, who really, you know, not just a fan of the characters that he played, but really have an appreciation for his, his Ritterness what he brought to the roles. If you've never seen Skin Deep, it's definitely worth seeking out because it is a very layered, nuanced, very complex portrayal. It's probably one of his his best performances. And so if you haven't seen it, um, it, it really gives you kind of a, a neat uh, look at what John Riddle was truly capable of with, mm-hmm. with the right kind of a story. Exactly. Um, other than that, I remember her small role in The Natural, I and mean that's 84, so she's already done a half dozen movies in the 80s, but, you know, she was the the one that uh, tried to kill the uh, Paul Newman character in the movie, and that was a small but pivotal role. I think Nine and a Half Weeks was probably the big but one. Yeah, she was. Just because she was naked. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they, for some reason, all people always reference... They loved the uh, sex with food. And I'm like, people, people always talk about that scene. I wonder, that's like Woodstock. <laughs> people, I don't even think people that talk about that even saw it. <laughs> it's just something they read about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the scene with the food and the sex. <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> of course. 
course, everybody knows. I can't admit that it's the Emperor's New Clothes. <laughs> oh, sure, I remember that. Oh, it was wonderful. I love it. It was relish, right? And maple syrup. I relished the thought of his pickle. Yeah. <laughs> That's what she kept saying. I remember that line distinctly. <laughs> <laughs> Something with bologna. <laughs> Kelly LeBrock. She was another uh, another one of those 80s sex symbols. Now, did she do anything besides the woman in red and weird science and then marrying the fat martial artist guy? <laughs> yeah. Um, not that I can recall. I mean, you know, it seems to be seems odd that she was, you know, she seemed iconic for a while there, but... I think she also did the don't hate me because I'm beautiful shot oh, in red. There you go. But that was pretty much it. Two movies, one commercial, Mary Steven Seagal, and out. But then she, you know, had enough of a remembrance to get back in uh, Celebrity Fit Club or something, wasn't She was? Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Um, well, it was one of those things where she, I, I remember, the, she had like two or three kids and she kind of gave up on acting. <laughs> Excuse me. And just went and raised her kids for a while. This is like, you know, soccer mom, I've got an extra 15 pounds. Or is this like Jamie Lane on a total slob? Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe she was even on that season with him. But uh, it was, you know, she was, she was bigger, but I don't think anything, you know. She still had it, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's still, you know, you could, you know, she wasn't a size two anymore. But see, this is what I'm talking about, the difference between certain people and what happened to Kathleen Turner, all right? <laughs> I am far from an ageist or a sizist, okay? Sometimes shit just happens. <laughs> but yeah, she, she I, you know, I think she, was, she lost like maybe 25 pounds in the show, you know, over like three months. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, enough of people remembered her enough to get her on there and to, you know, have her stay on the show all the while, all the time. So, I think the serious acting chops version of Kelly LeBrock would be Deborah Winger, <laughs> because this is a chick that people still talk about in, in certain circles to this day. And she she had like what three movies? Officer and the Gentleman, Terms of Endearment, and Terms Urban of Cowboy. Was there anything else? Am I missing something? There was, so there was one called Black Widow, but I don't remember when that came out. But yeah, I mean that's four four that I can think of. And she's still considered, I mean, I saw a couple of those lists where they were like, you know, actresses, you know, best actresses of the 80s, and she was showing up on there. It's like, that's pretty well. Officer and the Gentleman, that got like a kind of Academy Awards, and, you know, is fondly remembered, and that scene where he picks her up on in his arms at the end and something. Well, do you know what people remember about an Officer and the Gentleman? They remember Lou Gossett. And Richard Gere before he shoved Dribble up his ass. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Richard, we know that never happened. We know you're, you're touchy about that. We know that never happened. Yes, please don't uh, hunt us down and kill us. Just meditate on it before. It never happened, Richard. We know it did not happen. That's right. It was mice. Oh, Nick. <laughs> So, you know, Deborah Winger, she doesn't bother me. She's fine, but is she that great? I, I never, 
I mean, I never thought she was so captivating or so enchanting or so anything. I mean, you know, you know, not bad, you know. You know, the movies, people remember performances and all that, but, you know, <laughs> I, I never, well, obviously, she, you know, she never caught on. I mean, I don't think of her as, you know, someone who's lasted since the 80s. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's strange because... She maybe just made friends with good casting directors. Something. <laughs> Ellen Barkin. Something just occurred to me. Hmm. Was Ellen Barkin the first Cameron Diaz? Ooh. Because she was another, you know, this was, this was mainly more like a, a, well, a sex symbol. She was considered a sex symbol, but she was also considered a sex symbol with acting chops. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it was just based on her looks. But I think it was because she was kind of exotic looking. And I know that you've always said that Cameron Diaz looks like a boy. <laughs> and Ellen Barkin actually looks a lot like Cameron Diaz. In fact, I'm really surprised that no one's ever cast Ellen Barkin as Cameron Diaz's mom in a movie. That's a, and, and until you've said that, I had not thought of that, but you're actually quite right in that. I mean, there, there's definitely in my head, you can, I can see the resemblance or something, and there is kind of a, I've always said there's kind of a mannish quality to uh, Cameron Diaz, but, you know, not Kathleen Turner mannish, but <laughs> <laughs> something there. And, and But, you know, she and Barkin were both, Regarding the sex symbols, both have a kind of a, have a mannish tone. So other than the, than the big the big easy, which was the movie she did with Dennis Quaid. Yes. Uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> what else is there? I know she did Sea of Love with Pacino. I think that was in the early '90s. But uh, really, you know, she married a billionaire, and she's now divorced a billionaire. So it's not like she needs to act to support herself. But it's it's just it's very strange how she did this one movie with Dennis Quaid and she was all that you heard about for a while, and and actually she still has fairly good equity from that because people you know she she's shown up in some of the Ocean's movies you know the Steven Soderbergh remakes and you know she's still well thought of, but I mean her resume I don't think is that impressive. Well, as we jump to her IMDb. Well, she's seems well, well, I mean, uh, Big Easy was 87, I think. Uh, 86. And Sea of Love, 89. But boy, after that, oh, Bad Company, that was one in 95 that she was uh, touted in. So we went from 89 to 95 to, yeah. to the next even recognizable credit? She hasn't. She, she hasn't done shit. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I see. Wow. There's a very, very large, but she's she's in a movie that comes out, and two uh, a movie that came out this year and a TV movie that came out this year, so she's still working and she still does, you know, a movie a year or so. So obviously she's working on a good name, but nothing that nothing that stands out as, you know, mass market appeal. Yeah, it's it's strange. I was an actress. Another one. Seems like there's a lot of uh, people who end up as actors and actresses rather than movie stars. That's true. From the 80s. Uh, I didn't want to segment this by gender, but we've been on such a uh, a woman kick here. We can talk about some more of the women on our list, or we can uh, go back to some of the guys. So it doesn't really matter to me. 
Um, let's, let's jump back to guys for a while. Well, let's talk about John Cusack because, on the one hand, he doesn't really belong on this list because I mean the, ma- the man's had a career. Oh yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, he could, he does belong on this list because uh, I mean he was in a lot of iconic '80s films. Oh yeah. And even though he kind of you know busts the format of what we've been talking about, which are people that existed only in the 80s, it's really almost like he's had two careers. <laughs> yeah. Because his 80s career is very self-contained in the, ah, the show cat, Ash, <laughs> has just shown up and made an appearance. I think he's missed the last couple of shows, so he's here. <laughs> uh, but he, he had the teen roles in the 80s, and then was Ghost Point Blank his kind of shifting gears into the adult roles, would you say, in yeah. 94, maybe? Mm-hmm. So I guess in that regard. So let's talk a little bit about John Cusack in the 80s. Well, the movies I would say would be um, Sure Thing, Better Off Dead, uh, One Crazy Summer. Um, trying to think. The Say Anything? Uh, Say Anything. That was 89, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't there another... I'm thinking that he got his start in a movie where he was like friend number three or something. I think he was he was a, he was, a, he was a bit player in a really big movie. Hmm. Where you watch it now and you're like, oh my god, that's John Cusack, and they just have him hold the solo cup in the kitchen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> While you got the page up, you might as well check. Cause I, I think Rose Point Blank was the first time that he kind of played a non-teen role, but I could be. Way off on that. And it's such a great movie. I love Gross Point Blank. Yeah, I know it's a, one of your faves. You're trying to throw me ads. Um, we know that it's good radio or good podcasting. When <laughs> we just are silent while Nick tries to find stuff on his uh, iPad. So Dance for me. Dance for me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me sing the Billy Bonka song again. <laughs> All right, let's see. Wow, you really okay? Hmm. Well, his first movie was Class, All which right. I remember wasn't it like Rob Lowe and Andrew McCarthy? Andrew McCarthy, there you go. And the next one is Sixteen Candles. That must be it. It's Sixteen Candles. He has a bit part in Sixteen Candles where we go, "Oh my God, that's John Cusack," <laughs> and he's not doing anything. He's John Cusack. Have him do something. And Grandview USA. <laughs> Almost celebrating its 26th <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> 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 have to go back to the last episode for that reference. <laughs> and yep, then the sure thing, better off dead. Stand by me, one crazy summer, hot pursuit, broadcast news, tape heads. Oh yeah, tape heads was 88. Eight men out in 88. Say anything 89. The grifters 90. True colors 91. Mm-hmm. Okay, so play, play Shoeless Joe was kind of, you know, that was... But then he, he dove right back into a teen role to say anything. Bruce Point Blank was 97. Holy smokies! Wow. I didn't realize that. was fading. But yeah, really from, you know, what, 90, 90, 90 from, two, from uh, the Grifters until 97. Kind of a lost time for him. Kind of a lost period. And now he's back. And did he get nominated for an Oscar for that uh, missing or remembering? 
I want to say boxing thing, but that's totally wrong. You know, the movie where the, the wife dies in Iraq and oh, the oh, dad... Oh, machine. <laughs> <laughs> and the, he doesn't want to tell the kids, and he takes them on a trip across the country. What the hell is that thing called? Um, it came out in the last couple of years. Gee, okay. I think it's got a gerund in the title. So it's like missing somebody or saving somebody or remembering somebody. Nothing, huh? 1408, Martian Child, Summerhood, War, Inc., Igor, 2012, Hot Tub Time Machine. Go down past, uh, go down the floor a little bit. Uh, Grace is Gone. There you go, Grace is Gone. Grace is Gone. Okay, that's not a gerund at all. My apologies to our language <laughs> teachers out there. <laughs> I don't even know what a gerund is. But I think he got, uh, I think he got nominated, or he, there, there was heavy, he was a heavy favorite to be nominated for an Oscar for that role. So, what year was that? 19, or I'm sorry, 2007. Okay. Upon hearing his wife was killed in the Iraq War, father takes his two daughter, daughters on a road trip. And and doesn't tell them that mom is dead, because that's a responsible thing to do. Hmm. I, I don't remember hearing about that at all. Now, another actor who had two careers that I want to talk about is William Peterson, <laughs> who we all know as Gil Grissom, from the original CSI show. Now, in the 80s, it's one thing, he's from Chicago, he's a big stage actor in Chicago, and he made two movies in particular in the 80s that are fantastic, Manhunter and To Live and Die in L.A. I think I've only seen part of them. And I became a fan of his because of these two movies. And for years, he was one of those actors where I was like, you know, my God, why hasn't this guy made it big? Mm-hmm. And, and the kind of roles, these, you know, these were dark, brooding characters, just heavy, dramatic stuff, layers, nuance, just kind of a, a bubbling under the surface, kind of a malevolence and a danger, you know, just really just so complicated and he was so good at him. I remember when I found out that he had landed this TV series. I was so excited. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, he's finally gonna get this opportunity to shine and, and show his talent to the world and be appreciated and all this kind of stuff. And he ends up getting cast as the lead in a goddamn police procedural <laughs> with absolutely no character development. And it makes him a multimillionaire, and it's what he's now <laughs> famous for. And it just drives me frickin' crazy. <laughs> well, I will say they did give him some personality in the show. Just, oh, I'm deaf. Oh, no, I'm not deaf because I had surgery. It, oh, God. All right. Well, yeah, I, 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 uh, I liked him in the 80s, but didn't care for him when he <laughs> in CSI. But, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, Did, how do you as an actor, I mean, do you say, oh, well, you know, I, I may not grow as an artist, but I'm filthy stinking rich. And you can't fault him for I that. Mean, yeah. Especially after he'd been struggling for 25 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, everyone, it seems like every time someone gets, you know, that wonderful, you know, long-running TV show is they just, you know, like, oh, it's a regular paycheck and a regular time to show up and... Oh, it's so much better than, you know, struggling, figuring it out and trying to, you know, 
schlep and tote uh, <laughs> ham and egg it, as uh, <laughs> I heard, I've heard uh, Jane Moore call it. Ham and egg it. That's, that's a good line. Uh, yeah, so I can appreciate that he, you know, had success, and because I liked him in the 80s and stuff, I'm glad to see that, but I wish it would have been something I actually gave a shit about. It's like, it would be like if Luciano Pavarotti, okay, let's say, let's say, let's say Luciano Pavarotti had the talent of being Luciano Pavarotti, but let's say he never became a big world-famous opera star. Let's say that instead he became very famous on a geek show because he could fart really well with his armpit. <laughs> and that's where he made all of his money and became famous. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel about William Peterson. <laughs> there's like this, there's this other dimension there's the, where his career actually, he became renowned and an Oscar-winning actor for being so, talent, but so talented and, and awesome. But really, in the rea- real world, he's just known for being Gil frickin' Grissom on CSI. <laughs> Making fart noises with his armpit. <laughs> wow. His career, he reduced his career to farting with his armpit. <laughs> 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 Congratulations on that, Emmy. You farted with your armpit quite a while, sir. Shall good of you. <laughs> so, if you, if you have a chance to see Manhunter and To Live and Die in L.A., Watch those, and then maybe you'll figure out, maybe you'll understand. Maybe you'll be able to empathize with me for being so freaking angry that he's the CSI guy. The CSI guy. You wanted to talk about Goldie Hawn. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoy her 80s career. Uh, I think, you know, the... uh, well, she hasn't really done much, you know, since the 80s either. I mean, she kind of did a few uh, movies with her uh, not hubby, longtime boyfriend, Kurt Russell. I'm trying to think if she's been in a major motion picture since First Wives Club. Wow, I can't even think of <laughs> First Wives. That was with Diane Keaton and uh, uh, Bette Midler. When did that come out? I think that was the mid-90s, but I could be wrong. Okay. I, I remember that name, but I don't remember uh, much more than that. <laughs> but yeah, she, um, if you don't know, her daughter is, um, I don't know, her name, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson. And, but I also didn't, I just found this out. There's a TV show called Rules of Engagement. Mm-hmm. Her son is on that. Really? Her son, um... And I, I don't have any idea what his name is, but if you've seen the show, the show, well, when it started out, it was a new couple, an older couple, and a smarmy single guy played by David Spade. They've kind of ruined that uh, dynamic as the seasons have gone on. But the new couple, with the girl whose last name is like Cagelick or something, it's really interesting. But this is the worst story ever. Her. The, the the husband in that uh, is Goldie Hawn's son, and he plays, I, the reason I bring this up is that he kind of plays the um, well-meaning nice guy, but who doesn't quite get it, which is kind of the roles that she was playing in the 80s, oh. which I thought is, once I heard that he was her son, I was like, oh, that's kind of 
funny that he's kind of you know reliving her 80s roles in his <laughs> in thing. So, but he does it well. I mean, I think he he plays a nice, well-meaning goof. But uh, that that was a funny link. <coughs> um, I tell you, maybe a version of the 80s I really liked a lot was Wildcats. Oh wow! Where she coaches the high school football team. Yeah, that was a good movie, but I, I I was I would figure that a lot of people would reference you know the like the Chevy Chase movies or something rather, but yeah, that was a a a, a well done movie. But I, I don't know if it did it ever actually do anything because I don't think I ever even saw it in the theaters. I think I didn't see it till it was on video. See, I saw it when it was on cable. Uh, it, it was not a big hit, and that's kind of you know been her thing. I mean, she's never. I mean, Private Benjamin was a huge, massive hit, but other than that, she really hasn't had a lot of of big hits, even the stuff she did with Kurt. Yeah, um, looking at her IMDb again, she's, you know, uh, Foul Play in 78, uh, Benjamin was 80, Best Friends 82, uh, Swing Shift 84, Protocol 84, Overboard with her uh, not-husband, Kurt Russell in 87 and Bird on a Wire in 1990. And then, yeah, First Wives Club in 96. And last thing she had listed was 2002. Is Wildcats even on there? Oh, yep, there it is, 86. And like Protocol, Swing Shift, I mean, nobody even remembers those movies. She was in House Sitter? Wasn't that the uh, Sinbad movie? No, you think of House Guest. Oh, House okay. Sitter was oh, Steve was Martin. Steve Martin, yes, yeah. okay. I was gonna say, but yeah, she the the eighties movies. I mean, uh, Wildcats, Overboard, Swing Shift, uh, Private Benjamin. Boy, those were. She was a she's a uh, the the earlier ones, the Foul Play, Best Friends, even the Private Benjamin, where she's kind of playing like I was mentioning before. She's kind of the. Um, well-meaning but clueless. Well-meaning but clueless, and then you know, so the in Private Benjamin, somehow she decides to join the army. She's a rich girl; doesn't know what she's getting in for. Yeah, it just seems like a good idea at the time, because of course that's it was yeah. kind of the female stripes, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, and it was much better than the uh, TV series. I was going to say the uh, rip-off version that Demi Moore tried to pull off. Oh, G.I. Jane? Yeah. <laughs> that was a terrible idea. And Goldie didn't even have to shave her head. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, she just, she had a, um, she, she was really good at you know, being funny, but also being believable. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, she did, you know, half dozen 80s movies, but She's obviously also left a legacy with a. I, I I like her daughter, and I know like her son as actresses, uh, actors too. So that's a pretty good legacy. Yeah, not bad. Should we wrap things up with the screen queen, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis? Yes, there you go. Here's another one that I'm not quite sure if it's in the 80s box, but maybe. I mean, she definitely did the bulk of her work then. Mm-hmm. And I think is most remembered for the 80s uh, roles that she played. Because obviously uh, it started like uh, Birth of Lightning in 78 with Halloween, and then all the other horror movies that followed in very rapid succession with the Halloween sequel, with Terror Train, Prom Night, The Fog, and 
and then she really kind of needed to, you know, she needed and wanted to reinvent herself. And I think it happened at a very accelerated rate because she lucks into this role in trading places. And so a transitional period that, that could have taken a number of years actually happened relatively quickly. Yeah, from uh, Halloween 2 in 81, in uh, 83 she's doing trading places. And then, you know, Greenview, Perfect, uh, a Fish Called Wanda, that was large. I mean, yeah, she just, and then that she just moves her career on from there. Um, the one I was telling, I mentioned earlier to him was uh, Amazing Grace and Chuck, where, you know, it was only a, she was the mother of the role, but the the movie itself is good. It was a, a kid who uh, gives up his Little League baseball to protest <coughs> the uh, nuclear war. So, yeah. if you see that, you like Jamie Lee Curtis, go see that. It also has William Gibson as the father. So, oh, from uh, Criminal Minds? CSI. Or, uh, what am I thinking? Uh, Pearson. Oh, Peterson. 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 Thank you. Sorry. William Gibson. William Gibson <laughs> is uh, from Criminal Minds. I never watched that, so I don't know. That's no, no, Thomas Gibson. William Gibson's <laughs> the science fiction author. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. We got it figured out. <laughs> and, you know, I think Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, she, uh, she's married to Christopher Guest. They've been married for 20-plus years. Uh, they've got, uh, they have at least one adopted daughter. They may have more children. But, you know, she kind of, you know, became, moved into her mom role. And I think her last big role was well, her last huge role was in True Lies. Her last major role was probably in Halloween H20, which would have been 98. Didn't she do, like, didn't she do a remake of a Disney movie with, uh... Oh, uh, yeah, Lohan. yeah, Freaky Friday, Mackenzie Lohan. I'm feeling a lot of people would probably... I never saw that, but I assume... But, you know, she kind of, you know, she hangs out with her husband. She, uh, does the occasional acting gig. She, uh, writes children's books. And she tries not to get the trots from eating too much yogurt. <laughs> the trots. <laughs> well, okay. Yes. Diarrhea. Adding the sound effects is people really know what you're talking about. Always the classy <laughs> Send us an email to mr80s at rocketmail.com. Or they could drop us a line on the wall of our Facebook page at mr80s. Or they could check out our blog at mr80s.wordpress.com. In all instances, we're spelling it M I S T E R 80S. Do it. Do it now. And good night. Jerry Reed. Wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs>